expensive than its competitors. BBC Radio 4 News. Now, attention all shipping, especially in sea areas, Lundy, Fastnet and Rockall. The Met Office issued the following gale warning to shipping at 2118 GMT, today, Tuesday the 19th of June. Lundy, Fastnet, Southerly, Gale Force 8, expected soon. Rockall, Northeasterly, Gale Force 8, imminent. And that's the end of this gale warning. Well, now on BBC Radio 4, the writer, John Ronson, looks at the moment when we strive to achieve perfection with differing results in John Ronson on Crushed Egos. Once or twice in a lifetime, if we're lucky, everything comes together perfectly. Up the Creek was the sort of venue where you wouldn't get any build-up in the introduction. Malcolm Hardy was the compare. He was greatly loved. He was very funny, but it was like, oh, there's another comedian. And then, oh, oh, blimey, I'm on. So there was no, like, please, will you welcome? Let's bring all the audience up. And they knew that they had carte blanche, which is not a word that you would use on stage. They knew that they could just go for it. They had licence to kill through heckling. So it was a really tough gig and one that I didn't always look forward to. This is the comedian, David Schneider. And I'd done it a couple of times and survived. It'd been all right. And then on this occasion, I don't know what I did. I don't know what happened. If I could bottle it, then I'd be a rich man. It just went so well. I stormed, as they say. I I was just... Everything I did, everything I said, seemed to be bringing the house down. And suddenly I realised that I was on a plane of comedy that I'd never existed on before. It was beyond me. I wasn't controlling the comedy. The comedy was just happening in the room. And I can't remember what I said. I can't remember doing anything. I just remember suddenly being like almost lifted outside my body, looking down at this funny looking comedian, storming and thinking, he looks and sounds very much like me, but this is so much better than I've ever gone before. Do you remember any of the jokes? Well, uh, I had a very visual act, but I do remember, I think at one point, being heckled about the size of my nose and just running with, you know, the heckle put-downs being about stuff about Concord. I was called Concord at school, which I don't understand because I wasn't that fast a runner. Stuff that, you know, now isn't that funny. But just because I was going bang, 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 then I attacked the guy for the size of his mouth. You know, none of it scientifically in a laboratory is that funny but there was some strange Halley's Comet every 73 years someone in Greenwich is that funny that happened to me that that happened that night I think what David Schneider achieved that night is what we spend our lives chasing an absolutely perfect moment, maybe with our families or at work. This is a programme about how rarely those moments happen and how so many of us are crushed as we try and attain them. Last year, when Casey Seren was 23, he decided to fulfil his lifelong dream of becoming a real estate mogul. You may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. I started by uh, looking into all the different ways that you can make money, and I've always been entrepreneurial. And so you did these courses, what kind of in hotels that that were all about how to make 
money fast from real estate? Yeah, I've, I've gone to a bunch of different courses. Started off by uh, watching late night TV one night, my wife and I, and she saw this infomercial uh, promoting one of the courses. Of course, they make it look easy and they flash or, or real nice houses and cars and people are successful and happy running on the beach and that kind of thing. Yeah. You should always, you should always be suspicious of people running on a beach in an advert. It's <laughs> always for credit cards or, you know, cigarettes. The more healthy and good looking they are, uh, in the advert, the more trouble the products they're selling. Right. Yeah, that's funny. That's probably true. Although I'd like to give some credit to the seminars because you can learn a lot from them. You may ask yourself, how do I work this? And you may ask yourself, where is that large automobile? Casey learnt about flipping. You buy a decrepit house at below market value. Maybe the owner's lives had fallen apart and they had to sell fast. Then you do the house up in a couple of days and immediately sell it. The courses Casey attended said flipping is a foolproof way to get rich quick, as long as you don't do anything stupid like lie to get the bank loans. You lied to get the loans to buy the properties, is that right? Something I'm not proud of, but I did use what's called in industry liar loans. They're stated income loans, and they were originally designed for self-employed individuals that have a hard time documenting their income. But unfortunately, with the hot real estate market, they've been abused a little bit in the last couple of years. And so the 23-year-old Casey used liar loans to buy eight broken-down homes. At first, things were going good. I was using some of these creative buying techniques for how I can pick these things at below market values. Problems I was doing too many too fast, and I was going out of my local area. So not knowing the area, uh, I made some mistakes in selecting the kind of properties that really sh I shouldn't have been buying to what, begin with. What, what was wrong with them? Well, for example, uh, I had a couple of them that had a garage conversion. So instead of a garage, they made it into a room. Well, in some neighborhoods, that's okay. But in the ones I was buying in, it was a little bit nicer neighborhoods. That's looked down upon and actually goes against the value, not increases the value like I thought. I've been taken advantage of by contractors because they see that I am inexperienced and I've had a lot of cost overruns. So basically, the, the, the builders would look at you and think, we can make some money out of him first. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, they just saw that I was new and, and they, they were able to make some money on me. Yeah. So they kind of saw you as you saw the real estate market. Everybody was thinking, I can make some money here. Of course. Casey has so far failed to sell every house he's bought. He's a 24-year-old man who currently owns homes in Sacramento, New Mexico, Utah, California, and one in Texas that cost him $269,000 and apparently has various problems. But Casey doesn't know for sure because he's bought it sight unseen. He owes several million dollars. The reason why the world knows of Casey is because he's decided to write a daily blog about his life and financial troubles. He thought his readers could learn from his mistakes and offer him emotional support and maybe buy some of his eight houses. But it hasn't worked out that way. He went into the real estate business a year ago looking for the perfect life. Two weeks ago, an internet magazine called him the world's most hated blogger. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? 
when I just looked at random last night and I instantly found somebody saying that, you know, you were much too ugly to be married to that beautiful woman that you're married to, <laughs> Galena. And somebody else was, was doing a petition to have Galena put in jail as well as you. Uh, as to horrible, it's like you've you've attracted thousands and thousands of people who just hate you every day. Exactly, and it's hard to explain exactly why people have so much animosity. I mean, it's not like I went out there and killed somebody from their family. People on the internet hate the fact that you like to drink wheatgrass. I don't know what it is. Uh, wheatgrass is one of the best things for you, much better than coffee, very, very nutritious. What do you think it is about wheatgrass that they hate so much? Does it imply pretentiousness? Maybe that, and maybe also they think I'm, I'm into the latest and greatest trend. Basically, the argument of the haters is, hey, you can't afford organic food, you can't afford wheatgrass, you shouldn't be doing all this stuff, you should be buying... And, you know, really cheap food and just living way below your means. But this wheatgrass juice did cost you $4.90 plus an extra $33 because you were already overdrawn. So this wheatgrass juice cost you uh, $37.90 and your very beautiful, petite young wife has to go out and clean houses to help pay off your <laughs> $170,000 credit card debt. <laughs> which oh, you can funny. understand... <laughs> Yeah, no, I under, it definitely sounds really, really bad if you put it, put it that way. And that's, you know, it all depends on which angle you look at it. And yes, <laughs> my wife had at one point had enough of the financial instability and she went out there and started, you know, cleaning houses. And so that, that made me look really bad and brought the haters to a whole new level of hate. The other thing that slightly annoyed people was one way of dealing with the $170,000 debt was to go to Lake Tahoe and do some blue sky thinking, which seemed to be kind of an excessively expensive way to... I mean, why couldn't you just think about it in your room? Why did you have to go to Lake Tahoe to think about it? Well, sometimes you just have to get away and, and have the fresh air and, and the blue water and then the, the mountain views to inspire you. And how much did it cost? I forget the exact bill. I think it was something like maybe 200 and. $25 for a hotel, and it was just two nights a hotel, plus maybe some food. Was and, Galena uh, cleaning houses at the time when you were in Lake Tahoe? No, 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 that was before that. Okay. So I'm hoping did Galena to come with you? No, she did not. It was it was a time where I just needed to get away. So I do sympathize. I, I really do. I think, you know, it's it's very, very easy to get into the situation that you got yourself into. Well, not very easy, because it does involve a huge amount of lying and spending $2.2 million on houses you haven't seen. But it's sort of metaphorically easy to get into that kind of pickle that you're in. You may ask yourself, what is that beautiful house? You may ask yourself, where does that highway go to? And you may ask yourself, am I right? Am I wrong? And you may say to yourself, my God, what have you're like a victim of of uh, American optimism. I guess you can say it, and I'm still very, very optimistic that this isn't the end of the story. Does it hurt your ego to be known as not only a huge real estate failure, but also the world's most hated blogger? Anybody who's into marketing or promotion knows that good or bad exposure is good exposure, as, as long as you're able to leverage it. 
I bet that it would have been better to be the world's most loved blogger or the world's most successful real estate person. Yeah, but there's so many of those out there, and you wonder how many of those are real. But if you see someone who first screwed up big and then is able to come back and make something out of it, then you see where a person is coming from. So there's no question about whether they're genuine or not. Tell me how anybody who's been truly successful in any field, whether it's finances or, or sports or anything, that has not made mistakes, and not just small ones, but big ones, before they finally made it to where they wanted to go. And where do you want to end up? My goal has been from about year 2000, when I graduated from high school, is to, to build passive income, uh, which is income that's coming in from your business and or investments, that is coming in whether you're you're working or not. Now it sounds real idealistic and almost like can that even happen? Yeah. But it's very very possible. Like, and so it's like yeah. lazy income. <laughs> Some people think that, but just to acquire that, it takes so much work that most people are not willing to pay the price. It's like you take out liar loans to get passive income. Well, taking certain shortcuts like I try to do is not something I'd recommend to everybody. Unfortunately, I'm paying dearly for it. Shortcuts aren't always the, the best way to, to go, but being efficient is a good thing, just you have to be smart about it. Same as it ever was. 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 We recorded our interview with Casey Serin three weeks ago. Last week, he and his blog vanished from the Internet. I suspect he's finally agreed to his wife's demands to give up being an entrepreneur and become someone's employee instead. This world is full of people who try and fail. It can break your heart, especially when you realise that they don't know they've failed. The comedy writer Graham Linehan was once in a restaurant in Leeds when he saw a box sitting on the counter. I went to interview a band called Could. Do you remember Could? Yeah. Yeah. They were really nice, and we went to this restaurant in Leeds, and I had the muscles, okay, which was my only mistake of the evening. No, two mistakes. That was my first one. My second one was to see a big box on the landing of this restaurant with some papers coming out of it. And I said to the Italian restaurant manager, what's in the box? You know, I don't know why I asked it. Because it looked, maybe I saw it looked a little bit like a script. And he says, oh, I, I write, I write. And I said, really? And he says, yes, yes. And I said, oh, can I, can I have a look, you know? So he brings down this script and it's huge, okay? And I look at the title and it's called, and I'm not making this up, it's called invaders of the lost gold okay so i think i think okay okay so uh i opened it up and and i'm not making this up the first line is something like the professor walks in to where the archaeologist is teaching a class professor we need to find the lost gold archaeologist yes <laughs> cut to plane taking off <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it was probably a little bit more artful than that, but, but really that's about what it was. So I said, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And, and then I was flipping through, and, and on every page you could read, you just see little flashes of, there is an explosion, in capital letters, as the plane crashes into a, you know, a large boulder chases the man under, you know, and, and every page was a massive special effect, or, you know, Nazis and big fist fights and all this type of thing. So it was, it was so funny. So I said, um, so how are you doing? Have you sent it to anyone? And he says, Granada. <laughs> 
So I said, Granada, right. Well, I, I didn't know they were in the market for this type of thing at the moment. You know, they'd be, you'd think they'd be more interested in, I don't know, small soap operas or, you know, quiz shows maybe. So I said, what kind of response did you get? And he said, oh, I got a very nice letter back and gave me the letter. And the letter was heartbreaking because he had highlighted in green marker all the nice things they'd said. And there weren't very many, but the one that, stood out for me was your English is very good because <laughs> that's what you want as a writer you want someone to say your English is great you know you see that the thing about that is he really he doesn't realize that that's the first step in a very long flight of stairs your English is very good <laughs> do you know what I mean I mean, people whose English is you know their first language they have a bit of trouble writing blockbuster movies Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither while they pass, they slip away across the universe. Full of sorrow. Well, Yuri Geller once said he knew where the lost ark of the covenant was buried and he was going to dig it up. Um, bend it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I phoned him up. That would be impressive. If he, if he found it, yeah. dug it up and then bent it. <laughs> Well, I phoned him up and I said, can I come? Mm. Um, and he said, yeah. He said, come to my village uh, to discuss it. Mm-hmm. So I pulled up in his village. Mm. And, uh, I bet he loves discussing things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a lot of discussion. <laughs> it turned out he wanted me to organise the visas and it was in Iraq. So, you know, it's not easy. So I turned up in his village and I was an hour early because there was no traffic. Mm. And just as I pulled up in the village, my mobile phone rang. And he said, John, John, it's Uri. Uh, if you haven't yet left your house, could you possibly bring along? And I said, Uri, Uri, funnily enough, I've just pulled up in your village. And he said, I knew it. Shippy, <laughs> 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 he said, Shippy, Shippy, didn't I say that I could feel John in the village? <laughs> and I heard this voice in the back going, Yes, you did, Uri. <laughs> and then I went to his house. <laughs> I went to his house and um, he's given me a guided tour. He says, here's the Onyx toilet. Mm. Here's, the, here's a Jewish prayer shawl. Now, in my religion, the Jews, we uh, wear that. I said, Uri, Uri, you don't need to tell me. I'm Jewish. And he said, I knew it. I knew it. John, Shippy, didn't I say that the next person who walks through the door will be Jewish? Yeah, yeah. Yes, you did, Uri. He shares, he shares the same uh, psychic powers as most poker players after someone has turned over a hand. I knew you had aces. <laughs> knew it. You know what I mean? This is after they've given you all their money. In the mid-1950s, a group of visionary town planners had an idea. They'd create a utopian new town built around that fantastic invention, the car. The houses would have their own patios and privacy. The town centre would be architecturally thrilling. People queued up to move there, including my in-laws, who remain to this day in the town called Cumbernauld. Last year, the people of Cumbernauld voted their town the worst in Britain and petitioned for its demolition. There's the centre of Cumbernauld. It's, it's like a child has got a bunch of Lego blocks and stuck them together without thinking and then got bored halfway through and left. The other thing I've noticed about really bad areas is that the street names are always really nice. Uh, and, you know, we're off to Rose Hill Drive. 
But you know, when you're in America in these kind of soulless malls, they're always called things like Moose Lake Avenue. There's never any moose. There's never a lake. I'm on my way to see Bobby Johnson, one of Cumbernauld's early planners in charge of the landscaping. He lives in a lovely leafy neighbourhood, a mile out of town. Nice to meet you. Yes. Then you come, have a seat. Thank you for seeing us. Yeah. Bobby, when did you first move to Cumbernauld? We moved to Cumbernauld in 1961, and we came out to Cumbernauld to get a new house. Because living in Glasgow, if you were getting a house, it was in a tenement. And out here it was, you know, two th bedrooms, back front door, things like that mostly. It was utopia. It was a place to be. It really was. What was the utopia? The, the utopia was the design of Cumbernauld. You could walk anywhere. You wouldn't have to cross a road. Your children were safe. They never came in contact with transport. You either went under the road or over the road. I can't say anything about with Cumbernauld. Well, I've got a few problems with Cumbernauld. Yes, such as? Well, where my mother-in-law lives, yeah. Kildrum. Yes. When you're in her house, yeah. look out the window, yeah. all you can see is the blank wall of next door's house. Yeah. What, is she in a patio? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yes. That's the design of a patio, you know, where you're in a square. But you've got your privacy, you know. That that was the design of its day. But you've got too much privacy. You basically, you know, too much privacy basically means you just sat in a room looking out at a wall and you never see any of your neighbours. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. But some people like that. That's why they take that type of house. Well, she's been living in it for 40 years. Yeah, and it can't be too bad. Cold city lights glowing The traffic of life Almost every window in Kildrum looks out onto the wall of a neighbouring house. And this is a neighbourhood built on a hillside overlooking the Campsie mountain range. An amazing view, entirely obscured by walls. At this moment, Bobby's wife walks into the room and slightly annoys her husband by saying that the people in Kildrum do get lonely. Cut off. Uh -huh. in a patio type house. Yeah. Mm. But Bobby's being very uh, upbeat. But I lost Cumbernauld. <laughs> but no, what I'm saying is, some people like their own privacy. But my wife says that throughout her childhood, you know, sure, there was never any chance of her getting run over. That's right. But all the flashes from around Scotland would like come to Cumbernauld because of all the underpasses. Yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll accept a bit of that. But that's society. Alec Kerr is one of Cumbernauld's original pioneering architects. He lives in Edinburgh in a house with amazing views over to Arthur's seat. He shows me the original sketches for Cumbernauld. If you look at it carefully, you'll see the lines of houses. Mm -hmm. That is the most brilliant view of all. But that never happened. That never happened. But if you look at this here, you'll also see that there is a great big park in here. And there is the, the flats which looked straight onto the park. That would have been nice. Alex says the problem lay with the council. It was the council that crushed their vision by making them build Cumbernauld on a patch of rainy hilltop instead of where they wanted, in the nearby valley. The site of Cumbernauld is in a very, very, very difficult position. 
it was a hog's back hill and that although the rain probably fell on Cumbernauld 200 days of the year, there was no guarantee that, it, that the sun would shine in another 165. Didn't somebody think, oh my goodness, we're sentencing 70,000 people to a lifetime of rain and wind and no views and no open space? We had to more or less accept what was the framework which we were being given. I'm going downtown where there's music I'm going where voices fill the air However fully formed you think your personality is, as soon as you get into one of those houses, you just, you become like a sort of solo mouse running around a, an airless box. When did you last go to Cumbernauld? Ten years ago. What did you think? I went with the architect that I thought was, who bordered on genius. We went incognito. We didn't want to meet anybody. We wanted to see what had happened. We were very disappointed. The way that it was surrounded by uh, buildings which enclosed it. Later I get talking with Cumbernauld councillor Alan O'Brien, who's wearing a sticker on his lapel about smiling being infectious. He says he used to live in a room with no view. When I did live in places like that, because I did, that my initial instincts were, funnily enough, the exact opposite, would to go out and find a view and not be a hermit. It does strike me that if you're unhappy in your surroundings and you know that there's a 15-minute walk to very pleasant surroundings, as there is, then you would take that 15-minute walk. I don't know, I'm not so sure. I think when you're stuck inside somewhere, it can just, it can sort of suck you in, suck you inwards. Yeah, I, I do understand that. You're talking about depression, though, which is a psychological condition. You know, I, yes, I met Alec Kerr, who was one of the original designers. You don't know the gentleman. Uh, he said that he, uh, he came here about ten years ago. Now he lives in Edinburgh in a, right. with a lovely view. And he uh, said he came here ten years ago incognito mm -hmm. to have a look at it. Did he cry? Uh, he said he didn't cry, but it made him feel very sad. Yeah, it would break. It would truly break your heart if you're one of the original visionaries from the 60s and you see how it panned out. I mean, I used to make flipping comments about it uh, when I first moved here, saying it looked like it had been designed by some drug-crazed hippie in acid in the 60s. And if Alex cares listening, I would like to apologise. I now understand what your vision was and understand you never got the chance to see your vision come to fruition. But on the plus side, I've just come here for the first time in a couple of months... Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got a new shopping centre. We've got normal stuff, haven't we? When I come Suddenly, from... when, when did it open? It opened yesterday. I had my first visit inside about half an hour ago. And it looks lovely, doesn't it? The interior is very, very nice, surprisingly nice. Yeah. Uh, you've got all these people uh, walking around, just sort of wide-eyed in joy. Like, finally, we've got something we can walk through, and it's not horrific. Well, we're back to that point I made earlier, that we're not looking for utopia. Let's not get carried away. This is a bargain basement, normal shopping centre we're talking about. But to come on all... The one that happened yesterday. Yeah, it's near utopia. I'm going downtown where there's people My loneliness hangs in the No smile, no fly. 
think about the people in this programme. Casey Seren, Graham Linehan's waiter. I realise they're all the same. They failed at something but are carrying on, refusing to allow themselves to be crushed. Alan the counsellor was right. You only get sucked into a room with no view if you allow yourself to. The next time I visit Kildrum, I'm going to strongly suggest we all go for a walk. Hold back the John Ronson on Crushed Egos was presented and written by John Ronson and produced by Simon Jacobs at Unique. Next week, John will be at Glastonbury. Well, if you'd like some free tickets to Radio Force comedy shows at this year's Edinburgh Festival, you've got about 25 seconds to find pen and paper to write down a telephone number. Radio Shuttleworth. Welcome to Radio Shuttleworth with me, your host, John Shuttleworth. Of course, ideally, I'd be on hospital radio, because at least then I'd know some of the listeners. Radio Shuttleworth starts Monday night at 11.30 in BBC Seven's Comedy Club. So, as I was saying, there are some tickets to BBC Radio 4's comedy recordings at this year's Edinburgh Festival still available. If you'd like tickets or further information, then details are online at www.edfringe.com or by phone on 0131 226 000. That's 0131 226 000. This is BBC Radio 4. Now, the early release of prisoners, a referendum on Europe and the capture of British sailors to Westminster, today, in Parliament. Order! Order! Good evening, this is Rachel Hooper at Westminster. Tonight, the government announces early release of prisoners to combat overcrowding. The Tories say ministers failed to...